Please pray with me. Triune God, we praise you because you alone are worthy. We are gathered here this morning because you alone are worthy. We are gathered here because we are privileged to know you through faith in Jesus Christ, and not by any merit of our own, but because of what he accomplished and what you have done by your spirit in our hearts. We thank you and we give you praise. And Father, we ask now that you will help us to listen well as your word reveals more of who you are and how we should be responding rightly to you. In Christ's name we ask, amen. When we study the book of Acts, one of the interesting and helpful things we see, in certain sections especially, is the reality of the things taught other places in the New Testament playing out in the, in the lives of the apostles and their fellow Christian disciples. Of course, I'm speaking of something that is beyond the, the predominant demonstration of the author that Jesus is fulfilling his own promise that he made to them from the beginning of Acts through the rest of Acts. So remember that one first. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power. This is Christ's promise to his people. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Luke continues to show plainly that God, by the work of his spirit through Christ's apostles, that this promise is being fulfilled. But let me give you another example of something taught in the New Testament, which you may even have memorized, and yes, which you should believe and live according to, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And it's very near to the other verses that Steve read this morning already. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For the benefit of other Christians, potentially in difficult or even dangerous circumstances, Paul can say such things because he has experienced trusting God this way in his own life, that all things work together for good who are in Christ Jesus, according to God's perfect plan. So it is not merely a theological idea. Such theological truth is a practical reality in the lives who are actively trusting God's providence. So when we come to Acts 18, Paul's ministry in Corinth gives us an example and a pattern for trusting God's providence as we seek to serve him, trusting God's providence as we seek to serve him. So over the next two weeks, I want Paul's experience of God's providence to become abundantly evident to us, and I want you to be overwhelmed with the realization that God is up to the same thing with all of his creation 
and particularly on your behalf if you are in Christ Jesus. Acts 18, verses 1 through 11, Luke wrote this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, in this case, Greeks meaning God-fearers who are meeting alongside the Jews in the synagogue. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, verse 5, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus Christ, or that the Christ, the Messiah, was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. On this final major stop of Paul's second missionary journey, we can observe from Paul's ministry in Corinth an example and a pattern for trusting God's providence as we seek to serve him. Now, briefly, before we get into the examples, which we're going to do both this week and next week, it's worth asking for us to make sure that we understand what are we saying when we refer to God's providence. Providence is God's governing power and activity as he oversees his creation and he works out his plans for it. Providence is God's governing power and activity as he oversees his creation, every detail of his creation, and he works out his plans for it. So God's providence is not some nebulous and intangible concept. Rather, God God is providing, notice that our English word providence comes from, the root is provide. And so you'll see me using the word here as we go along. I'll be using the word provide. God is providing in concrete, definite ways. And he is even providing in intangible ways that are no less real and operative. They are no less functional and practical. If you were awake when the sun rose this morning and you saw the pink hue in the sky, you could have been reminded that God continued again today to cause the earth to rotate on its axis and to revolve around the sun. That is the providential work of God. And even as you were singing about the breath in your lungs, the providential work of God. And if your heart has opened to God like a blossoming flower to the sun, as the song said, that is the providential work of God. 
And providence is a needful doctrine because it takes us a a level deeper into God's sovereignty in terms of, of what that means about his activity. Remember, sovereignty means that God rules over everything. Providence means how does that sovereignty play out? How is God actively providing for his creation and how is God actively providing for his people? God is not merely the supreme ruler above and beyond all time and creation, which he is, but God is also actively involved in the purposeful directing and providing for his creation. If, and if God is actively governing all this creation and providence, imagine his power and care in providing for those whom he has chosen and are seeking him and serving him. Now, one more word before we continue in the text, and this is about our side of trusting God's providential working. While it's obvious to us that serving God is active, perhaps it may sound to us like trust is a passive endeavor. But our trust in God's providence must be active. Are you sitting in a pew or a chair because you trust that the chair can hold your weight? Absolutely. Do you cross a bridge if you do not trust that it will hold you? Trust trust in God is active, and it must be. We must, our, our trust in God's providence must be active. Otherwise, we begin to trust in other things. We trust in our own strength. We trust in our own thinking. We trust in our own plans. Or we will trust in other men. We will trust in men's political power. We will trust in their influence and their ability. Indeed, trusting in God to provide is an active endeavor. So as we finish out Paul's second missionary journey along with him, let's carefully observe the various ways that God is providing in Paul's life and ministry in Corinth. And then let's think in terms of how we ought to trust God with similar provision. So first of all, we see in our verses for today, we trust God to provide co-laborers in ministry. We trust God to provide partners in ministry. Paul left Athens and he came to Corinth. Who would Paul encounter and how would ministry proceed there? To get your bearings again where we're talking about, this is in what is modern day Greece. And Corinth was west of Athens. And at this time, Corinth had become the more prominent city. Corinth is the more influential place. It was the Roman capital of of Achaia, that that Roman province, and it was the political and economic center of Greece. Here I have another map for you that zooms in more closely on the isthmus of, of Corinth. All trade and traffic between southern Greece and the mainland had to pass through this slender passage where Corinth is located. And then there's a red line that you might see there that goes across that isthmus from east to west or west to east, and that was called the Diolkos. It was a track where many ships traveled across between uh, Italy and Asia, and they were drug across rather than taking the dangerous trip around the tip of Greece, of southern Greece. So, so combined with the port of, of Cancrae. Corinth was important to the economic development more broadly for the whole region. So Corinth is an incredibly important city in the world at this time. 
That also meant that Corinth had an eclectic blend of people and visitors to the city. And although the city had been rebuilt by the Romans after its destruction in war, its historical fame for debauchery and immorality. So before Rome destroyed it and rebuilt it, it was already famous. The term living like Corinthians was already famous for debauchery and immorality. And it continued even after it was rebuilt. So in the days of Paul. Now, so then again, I ask, what kind of welcome did Paul expect to find in Corinth? Except that such a big city was likely to have, have a synagogue, which it did. And Paul's training as a rabbi afforded him the privilege of teaching in the synagogues, at least until he would get kicked out for proclaiming Christ. Plus, as he comes to Corinth, we learn from his letters that he had evidently sent both Timothy, according to his letter to the Thessalonians, he had sent Timothy, and here, it sounds like in verse 5, he receives them both back. So Timothy and Silas had come to him in Athens. He sent them away again back into Macedonia to check on the churches. So he's, he moves again from Athens to Corinth by himself. He probably sent them with Aaron's likely letters to the churches in Macedonia. So like in Athens, Paul arrives in Corinth alone. But by God's providence, he wouldn't remain alone for long. Aquila, we learn, is originally from Pontus. And I'll show you this larger map just so that you can see again that if you look up at the southern coastline of the Black Sea, there's a region called Pontus. The southern coast of the Black Sea, there's a region called Pontus that's above Cappadocia. And that's apparently where Pontus and his wife Priscilla had come from. But most recently, the text tells us they came from Italy. And they came from Italy because the emperor Claudius commanded the Jews to leave Rome. We don't know for sure what caused Claudius to expel the Jewish community from Rome, but it is possible that there was some controversy and disturbance among the Jews there because of Jesus being the Messiah and that being taught. Since it seems quite plausible that Aquila and Priscilla were already Christians when they met Paul. So that could have been the cause. Nonetheless, I want us to take care and notice God's clear providential work in the lives of Aquila and Priscilla, including their relationship to Paul. They had likely gone from Pontus to Rome to set up shop. We find out that they were also leather workers, tent makers, artisans, and Probably having a successful business there, they are well-to-do. Later in Rome, the church will be meeting in their house, we'll find out from Paul's letter to the Romans. So they'll be here, they'll be, so they'll be in Corinth, they'll be in Ephesus, they'll be back in Rome. So they, had to, they were displaced from their home in Rome, and they come to Corinth trying to set up shop, having no idea uh, what they will find either, and God, by God's providence, they encounter the Apostle Paul. And we'll see that their relationship to Paul becomes critical, and then their relationship to Apollos becomes critical, and Paul's relationship to Apollos, do you see what I'm saying? The providential work of God among these teammates. And Paul would regain Silas and Timothy in God's timing. Not only that, but 
but God would, prob- would provide unlikely allies and co-workers in Titius Justice and Crispus. Titius Justice evidently had a large home adjacent to the synagogue, which allowed for Paul to continue teaching nearby. Although this undoubtedly angered some of the Jews, it also led to the salvation of of Crispus and his whole household. Crispus probably would have been a well-to-do and very influential Jew in Corinth, at least, or especially among the Jews, he would have been influential. So consider the expanse of God's provision for for co-laborers in ministry for Paul. And when you read Paul's letters, don't you hear Paul's frequent reference of Team Paul, wherever he is? Consider then in your own lives God's provision for co-laborers in ministry and for the church at large. From Paul to us, from believers in the Middle East to Europe, from Europe to the farthest reaches of the globe, from fellow ministers in your local church to fellow ministers in the local church of a distant city, culture, and language. The scope of God's provision for making a people for his name and provision for his people should cause us to drop our mouths open in awe and to shout, sing, or whisper his praises from hearts that adore him. Consider the eclectic and unique blend of teammates that you have wherever in this local church or wherever your local church is. What an amazing thing that God has done for us in our weaknesses, in our imperfections. God has knit us together to serve him. This is is particularly dear to my own heart because I frequently pray at at Branson Bible Church as a local church. I frequently pray for God's provision for partners in ministry. Not just people who attend services, people who partner in ministry. Do you view yourself as a co laborer? in ministry for the advancement of the gospel and for, for the care? Do you view yourself as a co-laborer for the care and, and maturation, the growth of Christ's people? Even so, we trust God to equip us for ministry. Not only do we see that we can trust God to provide co-laborers in ministry, but In the text, these partners in ministry are also closely connected to God's provision for Paul's physical needs. And so now I want to show you how we can trust God to provide for our material needs. And then also in the text, we can trust God to provide physical protection as he deems best. It seems clear from Paul's letter and and from, from Acts all of Paul's letters and from Acts, that he was sometimes supported in in the missionary work by churches and fellow Christians who were these people who were grateful to God for his ministry and they wanted to stay involved in it in any way that they could and so they gave and sometimes Paul seems to have been almost entirely supported by that giving. And then there were sometimes uh, that Paul may, uh, besides him being sometimes supported 
in full by such donations. Sometimes he, Paul was partially supported and he, he supplemented that with working at a trade with his hands to provide for material needs. And then when we listen closely to some of his letters, we hear him writing to a church like Corinth and perhaps describing this right now where sometimes he was almost entirely dependent on God's provision through this additional skill that God had given him. We're told that Paul was a tent maker, so maybe he, he wove uh, uh, the seams of tents together to make tents that were used for all sorts of things during this time. They would have been used for protection for soldiers. They would have been used for uh, the temporary, uh, temporary shelters outside of cities and so on. Now, by this time, the term tent maker had also come to mean leather worker in general. So Paul could have been an artisan as a leather worker. Paul may have made uh, sandals and belts and straps for for swords and uh, for uh, sorry, like swords and straps for uh, armor to be held on to soldiers. And Paul could have been involved in those things. So we find out that Aquila and Priscilla are involved in this, and they could have been involved in that. Their their business could have been, it sounds like, very successful. But either way, Paul becomes connected with them, and God uses that connection and relationship to provide for Paul's material needs. He's, as rabbis, they were taught to learn to, to have another trade as well, so that they could also provide when necessary for their needs by that trade. I'll also mention here in this context that I think it's fair to say that Paul doing this is more of a necessity than it is a goal. Paul being a tent maker is more of a necessity than it is a goal in and of itself. In other words, I don't think that Paul being a tent maker is the ideal situation uh, necessarily for his ministry. I believe the evidence would suggest that Paul using tent making to support himself while in ministry is more of a necessity at times than it is an ideal. And we can possibly think of situations that we know of where God uses that type of, of provision in, even when people are in um, part-time ministry, right? You know, you know pastors who serve in, in smaller churches and they work. They, some of them work full-time in order to for God to use that to make provision. You know missionaries, we talk about terms like business as mission, right? You know missionaries whom their primary access into another country is that they need to have, um, they need to be able to establish that we're here to do some kind of business, otherwise the government won't let them in at all. But that's a necessity, I'm arguing, rather than the ideal. So if possible, we may want to, when it, when it is an option, we want to be able to provide full support for them if we can so that they don't have to worry about that but, but can completely devote themselves to the ministry. But also as we continue, think of, I realize that we, we, as we talk about God's provision for our material needs, that may be the most obvious way that we think of God's provision, but it's no less crucial to our active trust in God. So this seems really obvious about God's provision for our material needs, but that makes it no less crucial for our active trust in God. 
Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, of more value than they? Jesus is not talking about us not being diligent, but he's talking about us not fretting, not worrying about provision. And I'll ask you, does God provide for you without you? Does God provide for the birds without them? No, they go get their food, but God makes provision for them. Is it possible, though, that at times God provides for you without you? That might actually occur at times, but oftentimes he provides for you through you. And that is not to say that he deserves any less credit or you any more. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, God provides for you through you, but that does not mean that he deserves any less credit for the provision or you anymore. Are you actively trusting God to provide for you? So do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And then in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and let me take care of provision for you. You demonstrate active trust in God's provision by seeking Christ's kingdom first in stewardship of everything that God has already given you. Notice that the ability to work is God's grace to you. The provision of food and shelter is God's grace to you. The ability to give and to share with others is God's grace to you. For many of us, our mission field, if you think about going to work, for many of us, our mission field, at least in part, or, or maybe almost entirely is associated with where God has us working. As he provides through that means for our material needs, it is also our mission field. When I think about the body of Christ, I think of so many, you, many of you being the hands of outreach ministry that I cannot possibly have, or that someone else in the church cannot possibly have. And then consider, too, as we're talking about this topic, that work is by God's design and should be done to honor him. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Paul wrote this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. There's something more important than your provision taking place as you work. And that is to honor God. And then I'll end this section with this. Even or especially in your prayers, I encourage you to actively trust God's provision for your material needs and physical protection according to his will. I encourage you to pray. Before we go to the last point, what about physical safety? In verse 9, Paul is reassured by God one night in a vision that he did not need to fear. 
Do you think Paul was ever afraid for his physical safety? Well, we've already heard of Paul being beaten and left for dead. We've already already heard of the, the Christians helping Paul escape during the night. Paul experienced fear for his physical safety by being, by nature of being human and all that he had already experienced. But God said to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, which would be a temptation from fearing what men might do to him. And God said, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Many other times Paul would suffer physical harm, but not right now. For now, he would experience relatively, relative, relatively peaceful ministry in Corinth. And how was God going to do this? God's plan was to save many people in Corinth, and that would also result in Paul's continued safety. For I have many in this city who are my people. Do you trust God for your physical safety? Do you remember that nothing will befall you except that which God allows? So you don't need to worry. And now that last phrase, for I have many in this city who are my people, is significant to our final application for this morning as we observe God's providence in Paul's Corinthian ministry. We trust God to provide saving faith to his people. This truth shows itself robustly in the passage in both negative and positive forms. In the first case, we see Paul's willingness to move on from those who persist in resisting the truth. And then in the second, we hear God's comfort to Paul that he will not be harmed and that he should go on speaking because there are many in the city who are my people, God says. But in the first case, God's providential work in this regard does not remove human agency, or I should say in both cases, in either the witness concerning Christ, or the right response of repentance from sin and faith in Christ are both God still using human agency as a secondary cause. God's work is the primary cause, but human agency is the secondary cause. So we trust God to save his people through faithful proclamation according to his will, and we trust God to save his people through their right response of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But we see in the text, if, if these people persist in refusing Christ and opposing us, we may willingly warn them and move on, like shaking the dust off your feet or shaking out a garment as a metaphor to say, your responsibility is on you. This doesn't mean that we have given up on the saving power of God's grace to other sinners like us. But it does mean that we might prayerfully choose to invest our energies elsewhere. Notice that Paul can say that he is innocent of their blood, meaning of their judgment, because he has faithfully proclaimed Jesus as God's Messiah. Notice, too, that Paul never fully gives up on the hope that some Jews will be saved, which occurs with Crispus and his household. Paul still parks next door <laughs> to the synagogue. And still further confirmation of God's blessing of Paul's shift in emphasis away from the synagogue is that many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. 
Now, again, the positive or affirming statement of God saving his people, of Jesus' sheep responding to his voice when he calls. Remember John 10, 27? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here in this text, it is made clear in God's comfort to Paul that I have many in this city who are my people. Do you hear the clear doctrine of election from God's word in that statement? That God has determined that there are people who will respond and you should be encouraged as you preach Christ, that you, as you proclaim Christ to others, that those who are his sheep will hear his voice and will respond. So that's not some silly excuse not to witness. It is confidence and comfort that God is going to do what he says he will do. And here, in this case, it's comfort to Paul even about his safety. So then we hear too in verse 11, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And then there will be even more above this year and six months. But during that time, Paul would have fruitful ministry. And we believe not only with respect to Corinth itself, but during this time, we think Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians. This peaceful time that God promised was extremely fruitful, but it was by God's providential work, not because of Paul. Paul just trusted in God. Next week, we'll see that we trust God's providence and preservation in the political realities. We've already begun to see that, and we'll see it in Paul's life as we continue in Corinth. There there will be even more examples than that one, but that's the most obvious for next time. As we conclude, I want you to remember that God is trustworthy. So seek God's provision with trusting submission. When we trust God's providence... We seek God's provision for partners in ministry. We seek God's provision for our material needs. We seek God's provision to save his people. And we seek God's presence and strength even in our political realities. Because we know God is present. We know God is working. We know God is good and that his plans are good. Especially when things are not happening according to our plan. We submit to God, trusting in his presence, knowing he is working, and knowing that he is good and that his plans are good. Trust is an active endeavor. I hope you will now read and meditate differently on Paul's words to encourage you from Romans eight twenty eight, which I encourage you to read in its full context. If you've never read Romans One through seven, please do, (laughs) and get to Romans 8 and see it in its broader context. Romans 8, 28 again says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you for the truths that we learn about who you are from your word. We thank you for this truth of your providential work that helps us understand how you are providing for and sustaining. You are actively working out your plan for your creation. 
And we thank you that as believers in Jesus Christ, that that provision is even more unique because we have been provided for by the righteousness of Christ as he took our sin upon himself and exchanged it for his righteousness. We are being provided for, even as we have your Holy Spirit indwelling us, we are being provided for that uh, your son, Jesus Christ, is still mediating on our behalf. We are being provided for in that you promised to complete what you started. We are being provided for in that you will bring us to the finish line. We are so richly blessed, God, by your provision. And we want to give you all the credit for it. Help us to to pour out our praise to you only. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Fellow believers who are in Christ, I trust that you are comforted and encouraged and challenged by remembering to trust in the providence of God. And remember that even as you just sang, the more you know of Christ, the more you know of God, the more you will trust him. He proves himself worthy of that trust. If you're here this morning and you would like to know that peace of trusting God that we're describing, We need you to know the truth of God's word that says that you cannot know that peace unless you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then God promises that if you will come to him, there's not anyone that he will cast out if you will come to Jesus in faith. Maybe you think you're not worthy. You wouldn't be wrong, neither am I. But Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. His righteousness is sufficient. Come to him. Put away your sin and yourself and come to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we trust in you because you are trustworthy. Help us to meditate on your trustworthiness, your providential care and planning over all things, and especially your providential work on behalf of and in and for your people. We thank you that we can pray these things because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.